The scripture reading for today's gospel lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is the Word of God. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Ephesians, Paul shares his discourse about the great salvation, the gospel that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And in that first part then of chapter 3, The Apostle Paul focuses on the power of the gospel for the church. And by the time we get to verse 14, he dives into what he started to say in verse 1. In verse 1, he says, for this reason, and then he kind of exits out of that discourse and then comes back to it in verse 14. And in verse 14, he says, for this reason, what? I kneel before the Father. When you kneel, uh, to kneel in the scriptures, it's always a sign of sobriety and emotion, and submission. So Paul is uttering a very passionate request, a passionate prayer. And what you see is, as Paul's reflecting then, chapter 1 and 2, he's reflecting on the gospel, it moves him to pray. For what? Verse 16, that God may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. We're going to look at three things today, and it's going to teach you everything about the gospel, as we have been focusing on that in our series uh, at this moment for the past couple months. Why does Paul pray? Two, what does he pray, or what is he praying about or praying for? And lastly, how do you get what he's praying for? Why Paul prays, what is he praying for? Lastly, how do you get what he's praying for? First, we're going to look at why does Paul pray? Now, remember, Paul is writing to, uh, or the readers, the, the audience, are the Christians. And, and that's what Paul, and this is what Paul's asking, verse 16, that God would strengthen his people with power through the Spirit. Why? There are three things. One, verse 17, so that Jesus, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Two, verses 18 and 19, that the church then, God's people, Christians, rooted and established in love, would grasp the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And then three, verse 19, that they, that Christians, that God's church, God's people, would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. First, that Jesus would dwell in our hearts. Two, that we may know the love of Christ, that we would grasp the love of Christ. And thirdly, that we would be filled with that. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now think about this. In chapter 2, Paul says, Paul's writing to Christians. He says in chapter 2, you already have Christ dwelling in you. In chapters 1 and 2, all Christians already have the love of Christ. And by being united with Christ, you already have the fullness of God in them. So why is Paul uttering again? Why is he reiterating? Why is he going back and earnestly praying, kneeling before the Father? Why is he praying that the people would get what he says they already have? And it's because at one level, Paul's very passionate, at one level, we have these things. Or we think we have these things. 
but at another level, we have never truly experienced them. What Paul's saying is there are a lot of people in the church who get the concept of the gospel, who get the gospel in principle, who get it in theory, who get it in history, who get it in word. They see it, they read it, they hear it, they believe it, but they haven't experienced it in a way that has changed their lives, in a way that has shaped them out of the core desires and beliefs in their heart. They have not been able to wrestle away from the core desires of their heart in their gospel, in the gospel that they believe in a way that has shaped them. So they don't really get it. They get it, but they don't really get it. They believe it, but they don't know how to live it. For example, you can get a sense of what it's like to be at the Grand Canyon. You can get pictures. You can hear about it from people who visited. You can see videos. There are nowadays helicopter and drone videos that give you an entire view of the Grand Canyon. You get a sense of the grandness of that spectacle, even in HD quality. But it's another thing to be there, to grasp its beauty, to be surrounded with all your senses, to be able to experience in 360 degree, to take it all in, in a way that you see how small and finite you really are. Paul says it's one thing to know the love of Jesus. It's another thing, verses 16 to 19, to experience that love, to know that love again in your inner being, to have Christ dwell in you, to grasp it in your knowledge of his love, to be filled with that love, to have it enveloped, every dimension of your life, to have it envelop every sense, to fill your senses in a way that it becomes your reality. Why is that so important? And this is the reason why. It's very possible for real Christians to live their lives with a degree of of inauthenticity, shallowness, hollowness. Because what you say you know, what you say you believe What you say you have in principle, in concept, is not something that you actually experience in a day-to-day way in your inner being in a way that powers you. That's why Paul prays for strength, that the Spirit of God will power you. You see that? It's not that you weren't Christians before, but there's this gap, there's this incongruity, there's this inconsistency in your life, and it, and it leads you to a degree of fakeness, phoniness, shallowness, insincerity. In fact, the very word sincere comes from the Latin word, Latin phrase sine sera, which actually means without wax. Now, what does that mean? In ancient times, in the age of sculptors, their sculptors would, they were, they were all over the place. You had sculpture shops everywhere. And you would walk into one of these shops and you would see sculptures everywhere. These people would be selling their pieces of the works of art. But if you look closely at these sculptures, the ones who were not as credible, the ones who were amateur, the ones who were trying to pretend to be expert and professional, you could tell that they weren't as good as the real sculptors because the sculptures that they would present to you would have cracks in them, but it would be very hard to detect these cracks unless you look very, very closely because they would take wax, melt it into the cracks, and cover over the cracks. And so a genuine licensed sculptor would have a sign hanging outside of his shop that 
would say, sine sera, without wax. In other words, all of my works of art are genuine. There are no cracks. There is no wax. In the church today, it's a big issue. It's a big issue because we pour into relationships in the church. Christians. Paul's writing to Christians. Our careers, we pour into our careers no less than anybody else. We pour into our wealth no less than anyone else. It's a big problem in our church today because these things are the wax. This is what we use to fill the gaps in our lives, to fill the cracks in our lives. And it shows in how you get into relationships. It shows how you pursue your career. It shows how you want to build your wealth and keep your wealth, how you spend, how you save, how you give. There's a fakeness. There's an incongruity. There's a, there's a disingenuousness. There's a phoniness in the way that we use our resumes and our looks and our intelligence and our salaries, our lifestyles to cover over our cracks. Just get on anyone's Instagram today. Get on anyone's Facebook today. You will see everyone covering up their cracks. You see that. Even in the physical appearance. There's a fakeness. There's a phoniness. And Paul says, you may not... Truly know the love of Christ. You haven't experienced the gospel in a way that has really shaped you deeply to the core of your soul. And without a real knowledge, without real truth, without really, really knowing the love of Christ in a way that shapes you, you won't live a life with power. I don't know how many people that I've seen over the course of my eight years as a pastor at this church. I don't know how many people who've come to me for counsel regarding their spiritual characters and their frustration from their lack of growth. And you could sit there and say, well, have you, have you read the word? Have you studied the word? Do you attend church? Are you a part of a community group? You, you can ask all these questions, but at the end of the day, what it comes down to is they live a powerless life, not because they don't have some other thing that they need after they've become saved, after they've become Christians, they just haven't dived deeper into the reality and the truths of of Christ's love for them. That's why Paul says that he prays that you are strengthened with power and you're given a huge inheritance, a huge sum of money, It's legally yours, and you place it in a bank. It's like living like that, knowing that you have this great sum of money in the bank, and yet because you don't draw on that, because you don't appropriate those funds, you live in poverty. Paul's saying that's exactly where most Christians are today. We have this great inheritance. It's legally yours. You are loved and accepted in Jesus, but you're not living as if you have Jesus. You're living in spiritual poverty, and so what happens? You wonder, you're frustrated by your envy and your jealousy. You're frustrated because you are stingy, or because you're unforgiving, or you're constantly complaining, and you're struggling, and you're working to earn the favor of other people all around you like anybody else. You're trying to earn that which you have at a cosmic level, at a spiritual level, way more abundantly. To truly get the gospel in a way that shapes you. Paul knows, if you have that, 
you can handle. Notice, he doesn't ask, he's not, he doesn't say, hey, I'm praying that you are safe from the plague. I'm praying that you are safe from invasion. I'm praying that you are safe from oppression. That's not what he prays for. He doesn't pray for any circumstances. Because Paul knows that if you have the gospel, if you have a deep grasp and understanding of the gospel in your life, you will be able to endure any circumstance, which is why it's of primary importance. Now, two, then what is he actually praying for? Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, that's God, may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is this power of the spirit in the inner being? And it can be simply said as a great commentator explains it's a spiritual inner sensitivity to gospel truth. In other words, it's not that Paul's praying that you would have greater emotions. It's not that he's praying that you have heightened emotions or some next level spirituality. It's the power to grasp that which saved you, the gospel, in an inward way that would shape you so deeply, it changes everything you do and how you respond and how you view the world, how it shapes you outwardly. Verse 18, he prays that you may have power to grasp the gospel, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What does that mean? It's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us power. It gives us strength. It prepares our inner being to truly grasp and comprehend the love of Jesus. I'll say that is of first importance. That is what you need. He says, I want you to grasp it. That word grasp, it's not the same word as I want you to believe it. It's a wrestling word. It means to take something, clutch it, bring it down, grab onto it. If the Holy Spirit is working in you, in other words, if someone's approaching you to call you out, maybe because there is a a pattern of life that you shouldn't be living, The Holy Spirit has a way of comforting you and encouraging you and strengthening you with power so that you feel safe, you you are reminded of his love, and you have a desire to change. That's what it means to have an inner sensitivity to grasp the gospel in a way that it becomes your reality. People who come to you out of a sincere desire to see you grow and mature, who are approaching you because of your need to change, instead of being apprehensive, which is what your old self used to do, you now embrace it. You're able to embrace it. You're able to move towards it. You're able to comprehend it because you comprehend even more deeply the love of Jesus in your life. And the Holy Spirit makes you sensitive to that. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is actually working in your heart, You don't just hear about God's love or about God's holiness. You grasp it. You take it. You clutch it. You take it down and you hold on to it. Jesus' approval, Jesus' love, Jesus' burden in his heart for you, it becomes a shaping, sweet, assuring reality. It's real. It's more real than anything in your life. Paul says, I want you to take it in. I want you to bring it down. I want you to clutch onto it. Why? Because if you're not pursuing the gospel, if you're not clutching onto the love of Christ, you're definitely grasping onto something else to replace the love of Christ in your life. 
See, the heart of sin has a way of working in a way that it's constantly looking for things apart from God. Looking for things apart from God to give you a sense of worth. It's what we call an idol. And idols have a very peculiar characteristic in a sense that they're desirable. So you desire, you clutch onto these things. And once you start to clutch onto these things, it clutches onto you and it rules your heart. It controls your inner being. And so there's a lack of sensitivity to the word of God because your reality starts to become shaped by these things that you clutch onto. And so the Apostle Paul says, I pray that your inner being will be able to grasp the reality of the gospel in your life in a way that will shape you. So what do you clutch? Or rather, what holds on to you? Your career, our relationships, wealth our reputations. And that's what leads to this inconsistent, fake, powerless life. Because on one hand, we proclaim that we believe the gospel. But on the other hand, we're grasping other things apart from the love of Christ. So out of one part of our mouths, we are professing this faith that we have in Christ. And then with our hands and our feet, we are moving, we vote with our feet. We move towards other things that actually are true reality. Things that are apart from the love of Christ. And that's what dwells in us. That's what we think about at night. That's what we're grasping onto and pursuing. That's what we believe will ultimately fill us. In verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, I pray that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's talking about a new kind of life. He's not talking about feelings. He's talking about a new foundation. He doesn't pray about circumstances, illness, plagues, persecution, wealth. He's saying, if you're built on this new foundation, if you really get what it means to build your entire pattern of life on the love of Jesus, it will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. You will endure any circumstance, any suffering. You will not be needy. You will not be fearful. You will not be afraid. You will not be selfish. You will not be self-absorbed. You will not be proud. You will not be envious. You will not be jealous. You will not be angry because you will not be empty because you will be filled. That's what he's praying for, that you will be filled. How do you get it? How do you get what Paul's praying for? What did Paul do? Number one, he kneels. He's sober. He's submissive. In other words, he obeys. And Paul doesn't say, for this reason, I kneel to God. He says, for this reason, I kneel to the father. In other words, he's obeying a king who is fatherly and a father who has authority. There's this intimacy. There's also this gravity. Number two, He prays. He prays for what? That we get the gospel. And so a way that you can apply that prayer is you pray daily, regularly in your life, Lord, I need the gospel. I don't always get the gospel. For everything that I get, there's a lot of stuff I'm blind to. There's a lot of stuff I'm missing. There's still lots of gaps in my understanding of the love of Jesus in my life. And so I'm not being shaped by this. And so my heart is constantly pursuing other things, grasping onto other things. Make that your regular prayer to ask the Lord 
Tell him, I need to know more of the love of Jesus in my life. Three, community. The text says in verse 18, I want you to have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. In other words, since chapter 2, Paul's saying, you want to experience the power of God? Live out the gospel in the context of the body of Jesus as a church. In other words, you will be able to do this better in community than as an individual. You're designed. It's designed. We're created to do it better that way. So you have to get connected. You have to get integrated. College students, you are new. Visitors who are new, get connected to a degree that you can't run away, to the degree that you can't just kind of cut ties when it doesn't meet your perceived needs. Fourth, the Apostle Paul says, grasp. Wrestle with what it means to trust God. There's no wrestling. Either God's work is complete in you, or you have lost all sensitivity. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a believer. He wants you to wrestle with trusting God. If you're wrestling with trusting God, that means that you're not completely overtaken. There is a fight. There is a battle going on in the heart. So wrestle with trusting God. Wrestle with loving other people. Wrestle with your generosity. Wrestling should lead to working it out, working out your faith, working out your doubts, working out your skepticism, working out your fears, thinking it out. And in the context of the body, in the context of community, in the context of prayerfulness, in the context of submissiveness, kneeling, praying, community, wrestling, Paul says, you will grasp. You may grasp the love of Jesus. What does it mean to grasp the love of Jesus? It's only when you understand that the love of God. It's only when you understand the gospel that the love of God. Turns you. Into a powerful. Dynamic. Reality. It's only when you understand the gospel that the love of Jesus. Will shape your world in a way that there will be power and a dynamic reality that's working, but you have to wrestle with that. What are you wrestling with? You got to wrestle with this. How wide is the love of Jesus? If Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you are saved by grace alone, then God's love is infinitely wide. It spans everything and anything you've ever done. How long is the love of God? Often we often think, Well, as long as I live a good life, as long as I'm obedient, as long as I'm praying and going to church and doing these things, then God will love me. But think about this. If the love of God is only based on your obedience, the extent of your obedience, number one, it's not very long. God's love is not very long. And two, it's why you spiritually fail. God gives you access. God gives you his love. Not because of your obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience. And Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' obedience is infinitely long. Infinitely long. He stepped out of eternity, stepped into time, and came down for us. There's the length and the extent and the breadth 
of God's love. How high is the love of God? John chapter 17, Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. He says, Father, I want them, that's us, that's his church, I want them to be with me where I am. I want them to have the glory that we had before the creation of the world. That means Jesus wants to give us the same thing that fills his heart. He wants us to be filled with an infallible, unending, unbreakable joy, an unbreakable peace, an unbreakable love for all eternity. God's love is infinitely high. Why is God's love so infinitely high? Because God's love is infinitely deep. Why do you get all these things? It's because Jesus Christ gave it up. All these things that filled his heart, the love of God, the adoring, doting love of God, the Father, in his life. His union with the Father. He gives it up. And this is the key. If you look to the cross, on the cross, Jesus Christ, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am sinless, but my arms are stretched wide to pay the penalty of my people's sins. His love is infinitely wide. My obedience is faithful to the end. The extent of my obedience is infinite. And that is also the extent of my suffering. I deserve to be with God, but now I'm forsaken. That is the length of God's love. I've been raised high on the cross on Calvary. That is the extent of his love for his people. And though I and the Father are one, I am now enduring complete separation from the Father. And so when you experience complete separation of Father on the cross, Jesus Christ is experiencing the depths of hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Jesus' love is infinitely deep. And did he do it with sadness? See, we think that he did it with cowardly sadness. And yet in Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, he did it with joy. He did it with gladness. Jesus' love is infinitely wide and infinitely long and infinitely high and infinitely deep because his suffering is infinitely wide and long and high and deep. And he did it with an infinite gladness and infinite joy for you. That's the extent of his love. There's the width and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. You're suffering guilt, wrestling with trusting God right now. You're suffering and wrestling with temptation. If you feel like you're in the depths right now, in darkness, if there's rejection in your life, brokenness in your life, a pattern of sin that you just can't seem to break, Only if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ will you understand the width and the length and the height and the depth of God's love that will give you strength and power to endure. Endure. Let's pray.